0: All right. Well, good morning, church. It's uh, Pastor Will here. And uh, listen, for those of you who are new to the stream and have no idea who I am, I serve as one of the elders and uh, pastors here at High Point Church. And uh, if you're new here, we are so glad that you are streaming in and connecting with us today. Be sure to interact with us on the chat. We have different team members, staff members, interacting with people in the different chats. And so make sure to interact with us and let us know that you are here. Now, last week, for those of you who have been following along uh, uh, just through our different messages that we've been doing, you know that last week we concluded a five-week series on Romans chapter 8. Now, this week, the plan all along, this week was, was Palm Sunday. And so what I was planning. And what I was praying in light of was on Palm Sunday to preach a sermon on the subject of Palm Sunday. And so that's how I was praying. That's how I was preparing. But then all of a sudden earlier in the week, as many of you know, um, our, our political leaders uh, made the decision to extend uh, this quarantine, to extend this, this period of social distancing. Now now I don't know about you but here's kind of how I've been processing this season. It's kind of been a a journey for me because I, like you I have no idea when this season is going to eventually and And so for me, it feels like I'm running this marathon and, and and with every new update and with every new announcement, I feel like I have to look at my watch and readjust my time so initially, I was running uh, seven minute miles uh, and then uh, uh, then I went to maybe running a ten minute mile and after the announcement earlier this week, I feel like I've set my 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 pace to a thirteen minute mile right It feels like we kind of keep adjusting as new information and new updates come our way. So in light of that update, once I realized that we were going to be in this season for at least another month and probably more, I started to pray in process a little bit different. And, and, I, and I honestly, I can tell you, this only has only happened a few times in my life where I'm preparing a sermon to preach one thing. And I feel like the Holy Spirit tells me, no, I don't want you to preach on that. Instead, I want you to preach on this. And so when I, when I discovered that this season was going to go, longer than we anticipated. Once I realized that, I started praying and processing different. And what I discovered this week is that I feel like the Holy Spirit, what he wants me to do this morning is talk to you um, and to address this subject, this topic of quarantine. What I wanna do this morning is I wanna give you a theology. I wanna give you a biblical perspective on quarantine. Okay. And so that's what I what I what I want to do, and I, I want to unpack for you what the Bible has to say about this subject and topic of quarantine. So, so what I want to do here on the front end is I want to give you uh, a definition of quarantine. And this definition comes to us from the Encyclopedia of Public Health. Here's what they say they say quarantine is defined as a restriction of the activities of healthy persons or animals who have been exposed to a communicable disease the aim is to prevent transmission of the disease from potentially infected persons to healthy persons during the incubation period so that comes from the encyclopedia of public health, but but if, what I want you to see there in the definition of quarantine is that it says that a quarantine essentially the people who are quarantined are the people who have already been infected with the disease or the virus. But what's what I find interesting, and, and many of you know this already, is about the coronavirus. Is that one of the reasons why we are all practicing social distancing? Uh, one of the reasons why we are all being forced into quarantine is because what makes the coronavirus unique is that someone can have the virus and not show symptoms for several days. Or there are people who can have the virus and never show any symptoms whatsoever. And so in light of that definition, the only people that are quarantined are the people that are affected, are the people who have been uh, uh, infected with the disease or the virus. But the reason why we have all been put on quarantine in this season is because we really don't know who has the virus and who can spread it to another person? And so, what I wanna do this morning uh, is I wanna give you, like I already mentioned, I wanna give you a theology. Of quarantine. if we're going to be in this season for at least another four weeks and possibly even more, I want to make sure that we as a church are processing this season. We are viewing this season through a biblical lens. And the reason why I want to give you a theology of quarantine is because whether you know it or not, you already have a theology of quarantine. Every single one of us for the past two, three weeks that we've been in this season of quarantine and social distancing, whether you know it or not, you already have a theology of quarantine. You are creating one as we speak. And so what I want to do in this season, in this, in, this, in this message, is I want to replace whatever theology you currently have and then in its place, put a biblical theology and give you a biblical perspective of quarantine. Now, here's the thing. Usually when I preach uh, a sermon, I I rarely, rarely have a title for my sermons. I'm not really big on on titles. But for some reason, uh, halfway through the week, when the Holy Spirit started to change my my direction on where I wanted to go this morning, he also kind of gave me a title uh, for this sermon. And so the title for my sermon this morning is this, hashtag quality quarantine, that's the title, hashtag quality quarantine. And so, so many of you have heard of quality assurance, right? And, and many of us have heard of quality control, but I would argue that none of us have ever heard of a quality quarantine. And so this morning, the, the title of my sermon, the, the, the phrase that I want you to remember is hashtag quality Quarantine. As a matter of fact, uh, as you engage with the sermon throughout the, this morning and even throughout the week, whatever you do as a result of this sermon, I want you to make sure that if you do anything on social media, I want you to put hashtag quality quarantine, okay? I want us to, to figure out what the Bible says about quarantine so that we as believers, we as high pointers can have a quality quarantine, The goal is to help us look at quarantine through the lens of what God says quarantine is. And so what we're going to do this morning is we are going to look at quarantine under three headings. Uh, We are going to begin this morning by looking at the concept of quarantine. Then after that, we are going to look at the paradox of quarantine. And then we are going to conclude by looking at the end of quarantine. So the concept, the paradox, and the end. Let's begin this morning by looking at the concept of quarantine. Now, here's the thing about this concept of quarantine. Since for many of us, we have never experienced a quarantine. For many of us, this is new to us, right? We've never gone through a season like this. We we have never, uh, these generations that are currently alive right now have never gone through a quarantine. So because this this, this concept of quarantine is new to us. What, what the, the, the language that many people are using today, that when, when you read articles, when you hear politicians and journalists and, and even people in your life, the, the language that people are using, they're, they're using words like unprecedented and they're using words like unparalleled and unmatched. And the reason why they're using these words is because in their mind, they feel like what we are going through has never been experienced by anyone before, okay? Those words, unprecedented, unparalleled, unmatched, those are all great words, uh, but unfortunately, just because quarantine is new to us, it doesn't mean that it is new to humanity. And so even though those words are okay, uh, the reason why they are not entirely true is because this season really isn't unmatched. It it really isn't unparalleled. And I would argue that seasons like this have happened throughout biblical history and throughout human history. And so let me, let me just explain to you what my goal is uh, right here up front. Uh, My goal this morning is not to minimize the season that we find ourselves in. My goal this morning is to contextualize the season that we find ourselves in. Okay, So I don't want to minimize it, but I want to contextualize it. I want to put it uh, in, in, in its contextual historical setting so that we understand and so that we can have an a, a appropriate response to the season that we find ourselves in. Now, according to the CDC, uh, this concept or this idea of quarantine was introduced in the 14th century. Look what it says on the CDC website. It says, the practice of quarantine as we know it began during the 14th century in an effort to protect coastal cities from plague epidemics. Ships arriving in Venice from infected ports were required to sit at anchor for 40 days before landing. The practice called quarantine was derived from the Italian words, quarenta gironi, which means 40 days. So that that quote comes directly from the CDC website. According to the CDC, this concept of quarantine, this idea of quarantine was introduced in the 14th century. Now here's the problem with that quote and with those numbers and with that date. The problem is that the CDC is only about mm, 3,000 years off, okay? Uh, uh, In other words, the the concept of quarantine is is the origins of quarantine are much older than what the CDC uh, is leading us to believe. As a matter of fact, I would argue that all the way back in the book of Leviticus, all the way back in the third book of the Bible, God was already laying out for us uh, procedures and protocols and guidelines for quarantine. So, so think about this. Let me kind of put this in a historical context. If God was already talking about quarantine back in the book of Leviticus, that was 1500 years before Jesus and 3500 years before us. So, so God was talking about quarantine way before the 14th century. And so, man, kudos to the CDC, but they are off on this one because all the way back in Leviticus... God was already giving us procedures and uh, processes and guidelines on how to deal and how to quarantine people when there was viruses and diseases spreading amongst the Israelites. So let me go ahead and read to you from Leviticus chapter 13, where we see God uh, giving the, the Israelites this, this, this uh, uh approach these, this, these procedures for quarantine. Look what it says in Leviticus 13, verse one. It says, "'The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, "'When a person has on the skin of his body "'a swelling or an eruption or a spot, "'and it turns into a case of leprous disease "'on the skin of his body, "'then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest "'or to one of his sons the priest.'" And the priest shall examine the disease area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the disease area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of the body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days, AKA social distancing, quarantine for seven days. Verse five, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes, the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days, more quarantine, more social distancing. Verse six, And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. And so just if you see there, God's telling people to wash their clothes. What I love about what God does here is that not only is he talking about the person being uh, clean, quarantine, but, but he has several verses on what to do with their garments and with their uh, uh, pottery and all the different things that these people interacted with. He, he talks about how we clean those things. And the person, if it got serious enough, would have to shy, uh, shave their whole body and bathe themselves. So you see God all the way back in Leviticus already being aware of things like germs. And even though ger- the discovery of germs wouldn't happen for centuries later, it, it's crazy to me just how brilliant uh, God is is all the way back in Leviticus, this was already happening. Look what it says in verse seven. But if the eruption spreads in the skin, after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest. Verse eight. And the priest shall look, and if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. Let's go to verse 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip. Think of, think of, guys, think about how crazy this is. This is 3000 years ago. God is telling people to cover their lip when they speak because he knew that one of the ways in which diseases were transmitted, one of the ways in which viruses were transmitted was through spit. And so the idea of us wearing masks today, that's not a brand new thing. All the way back in Leviticus, God is already saying, he shall cover his lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. And here's the quarantine again. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, so, so here's what I need you to see that, that, The the, the idea of quarantine, the the concept of quarantine, that was not created by the CDC. That was not created by the WHO. Uh, That was not uh, 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 created in the 14th century. The the idea of quarantine was already present back 3,000 plus years ago in the book of Leviticus, and, and when you look at the entirety of the Old Testament, you see the concept of quarantine come up again and again. So for example, in the book of Exodus, uh, as many of you know, maybe some of you don't know, but in the book of Exodus, the, the Israelites are leaving in Egypt living in Egypt, and God brings 10 plagues in order to punish the Egyptians so that they might let his people go. Well, one of the plagues that God brings is a skin disease that that results in boils all over people's skin. But what's interesting about that plague is that God makes sure to tell Moses when this plague is taking place, make sure that the people of Israel stay in the land of Goshen, in the region of Goshen. In other words, what God is saying there is he is practicing quarantine. He's saying, you don't want to be by the Egyptians. I need you to stay uh, in quarantine. I need you to have social distancing from the Egyptians. Even on the famous Passover night, we see quarantine playing a role. Why? Because God says to Moses, I want you to tell the Israelites, make sure that they cover the door frames of their house, the doorposts of their house with the blood of a lamb. And then he says, I need them to stay inside their house on the night of the Passover. God uh, institutes a, a overnight quarantine. And if any Jew disobeyed that quarantine, if any Jew disobeyed that command, they would have died alongside the Egyptians. Isn't it crazy that all throughout the Old Testament, you see the concept of, of quarantine and social distancing again and again. And what's, what's fascinating is that if you remember the first verse of, of Leviticus 13, it says that God speaks to uh, Moses and to Aaron. And then later on, it says that the priests were the ones that were to determine whether or not a disease was contagious. So, so think about this. The, the first public health officials were Moses and Aaron. And from that moment on, way before the CDC, way before the WHO, the first public health officials were the priests of Israel, okay? That's crazy. And then if you move up a little bit more to to the time of of the kings, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we hear about another person who dealt with leprosy and as a result had to be put in quarantine, as a result had to practice social Distancing. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 21. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death and he lived in a separate house. He lived in a separate house being a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house judging the people of The land. So, so what I want you to see is that all throughout the Old Testament, we see examples of quarantine taking place. But but we also see it in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, when you go to uh, the New Testament, every time you hear a leper being mentioned, there are more than one time, it's actually mentioned in all the gospels, Jesus interacts with this leper. And in his interaction with the leper, you see the, the leper having to violate the quarantine laws, having to violate the social distancing laws in order to be brought near to Jesus. And we'll talk about that story more um, at the end. But even when you look at the story of the 10 lepers that Jesus heals and then only one of them comes back to say, thank you. In that story, it says that they called out to Jesus from a distance because they had to practice social distancing. They had to remain quarantined. So we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And I would argue that we see it all throughout Christian history. I wrote these down because I wanted to make sure that I gave you guys uh, the right numbers. But here are examples of, 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 of viruses and diseases that resulted in quarantine. Here, here are some of the examples. Uh, one of them uh, is the smallpox epidemic that happened in the second century. The, the smallpox epidemic impacted so many people that uh, this, uh, uh, historians say that one in every three people died in Rome as a result of the smallpox epidemic including the emperor the, the 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 emperor of Rome died as a result of smallpox because one in every 3 people died in that time. And, and in that moment, I'm not going to get too much into this, but, but one of the reasons why the church grew as quick as it did is because Christians, instead of running away, they stepped up and they were the hands of feet in Jesus and what's easily one of the most deadliest viruses and diseases to ever exist or quarantines to ever exist. Another example of this is the bubonic plague Back in the 14th century, there was the bubonic plague or the death, the black death that spread through Europe, all throughout Europe. And what's crazy about the bubonic plague is that it ended up killing over 50 million people. Let me go ahead and say that again. The bubonic plague in the 14th century ended up killing over 50 million people. Scholars say, Historians say that over 60% of Europe died, over 60% of Europe died as a result of the bubonic plague. Another example of of a disease or a virus spreading that resulted in quarantine was the yellow fever. Back in the 1800s, there was a yellow fever that impacted uh, Europe, but specifically it impacted the United States and it got so bad that it was the first time in U.S. history that quarantine was removed from the hands of local officials and taken up to the federal level. So in the 1800s, it got so bad that the quarantine was no longer decided by the mayors and by the governors. It was decided by the, by the, the president at the federal level because of how bad the yellow fever got in the 1800s. And then at the beginning of the 1900s, uh, right, I think it was 1918, the, the Spanish flu uh, broke out and the Spanish flu was so dangerous that it also ended up killing about 50 million people, not just in the United States, but in Europe as well. Over 50 million people died as a result of the Spanish flu. And I want you to just remember what I just said on the date. The, the, the Spanish flu, it didn't happen 200 years ago. It didn't happen 1,000 years ago. It happened a little over a 100 years ago. 1918, right around that time, was when the Spanish flu took place. So why do I tell you all those stories? Do I tell you those stories to discourage you or to depress you? No. Uh, the reason why I'm telling you those stories and I'm giving you those examples is because I want you to understand that this, as, as difficult as this season is, it is not unparalleled. It is not unmatched. It is not uh, uh, unprecedented. No, no, th- we, 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 the church has gone through things like this in the past. But here's what's so fascinating to me. Even with everything I just said, right, the, the, all these different things that have happened throughout biblical history and human history, when you look at modern medicine today, the concept of quarantine the, the guidelines for quarantine that God set up 3,000 plus years ago, when you look at modern medicines today, those procedures and those guidelines are still roughly the same. With all the advancements we've had, with all the technology we had, with, with all the breakthroughs we've had, the, the concept of, of, of quarantine is still roughly the same after 3,000 plus years. So a few years ago, uh, back in 2003, uh, a journalist in the LA Times uh, wrote an article about the idea of quarantine in the 21st century. And look what it said uh, about SARS, which was the disease that was spreading at that time. Look what this journalist in the LA Times has to say about quarantine. He says, The battle against severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS, has brought back something that most people know only from history books, quarantine. Some critics tell us that quarantine, restraining the movement of people to prevent the spread of infectious disease is unworkable and ineffective and deserves to be put back on the shelf. Modern medicine, civil rights and technology have made quarantine impractical and obsolete, we are told. But history suggests this assumption is mistaken. So, so, so with all the modern breakthroughs, all the modern medicine, all the advancements, all the technology, quarantine, the way it was carried out in Leviticus is still roughly being carried out exactly the same way, even after 3,000 plus years. Now, here's what I want you to know. Uh, if you go back to my previous slide, here's what I want you to know. As, as we navigate this season, as, as I try to give you a, a theology of quarantine, here's what I need you to understand. One of the things that, or one of the, I don't want to use the word lie. I think the word lie is, is a strong word. But, but one of the temptations for Christians today is to look at this season that we find ourselves in and be convinced that we are in the end times. And so it, 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 depending on who your friends are on social media, right, there, there are certain Christians who are convinced that we are in the end times. Times. Well, based on my reading of Revelation, I, I think that those people need to calm down a little bit, okay? Because I don't actually feel like we are in the end times. As a matter of fact, if I were to take a passage that I would say we must apply in this season, it wouldn't be Revelation 13, it would be Leviticus 13, okay? So if there's a passage that we as believers must be aware of, if there's a passage that we as believers must be applying, it's not Revelation 13, end times, but Leviticus 13, which is honoring the, 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 the mandates that we have been given from our political officials and, and, and making sure that we are social distancing, socially distancing for the good of our neighbor. Here's what I need you to know about these quarantine laws, okay? And it, again, I'm, I'm helping you build a theology of, of, of quarantine. Here's what I need you to know about these laws that God gives. The reason why God gives those laws is not because he's trying to be legalistic. It's not because he just just wanted to create just random rules. No, but the reason why the entirety of the Mosaic law has been given to us is in order, let me put it this every Mosaic law, including the quarantine laws, are rooted in and are an expression of Leviticus 19, verse 18. What's Leviticus 19, verse 18? Well, Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, so don't miss this. The reason why God has given us the law, is even the quarantine laws, every other Mosaic law, there's the, the, the law of God is broken up into three parts in the Old Testament. There's the ceremonial law, there's the moral law, and there's the judicial law. God has given us his laws in order to help us Love our neighbors as ourselves. So, so let me put this in context for you. The reason why we as believers have to respond the way we are responding right now, which is by quarantine, which is by uh, uh, staying indoors and respecting the mandates that have been given to us, is because according to the Old Testament, when we carry out and adhere to to the quarantine laws, we are carrying out the command, we are expressing the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, one of the things that some Christians are doing is they're accusing other Christians of a lack of faith. Oh, you don't have faith or you don't have hope. or you know, and there's, So there's stories about all across America, pastors who are forcing their churches to come together and the virus is spreading. And so they're saying, well, we're doing it because if you don't, then you don't have faith. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Because in light of Leviticus 13 and in light of Romans 13, where Paul says that God has appointed political leaders and that they have been put there by God. And so when we honor them, we honor him. Okay. When you see that, what you start to understand is that in light of Leviticus 13 and in light of Romans 13, when we adhere to these quarantine mandates, we are loving our neighbor And we are honoring the authority that God has put over us, okay? So so for those Christians who are judging other Christians and are accusing them of a lack of faith or a lack of hope, here's what I need you to know. Us responding the way that we are responding in this season is not an absence of faith or an absence of hope. Instead, it is a presence of love and obedience. It's not an absence of anything. It is the presence of love of our neighbor and obedience to our authorities. So that is the concept of quarantine. The second thing that I want to look at this morning is I want to look at the paradox of quarantine. Here's what I mean. Quarantine in many ways is a paradox. And here's what I mean by a paradox. There are good things related to quarantine. And then there are some really, really hard things related to quarantine. So when it comes to quarantine, there are certain benefits and advantages to it. But then at the same time, there are certain uh, uh, deficits and disadvantages to it. And so that's the paradox, that there's good things and bad things related to this subject of quarantine. And so what I want to do under this second point is I want to give you a quick list of some of the benefits, some of the advantages of quarantine. And then after we do that, then I want to spend the second half of the point telling you a little bit about the, the disadvantages of quarantine, so, so here are uh, the benefits and advantages of quarantine. There, there's three of them. The first benefit to quarantine is that there is a physical benefit. And here's what I mean by a physical benefit. In a season like this, one of the things that quarantine has allowed us to do, I don't know about you, but it definitely has allowed me to do it, is that it's, there's a physical benefit to quarantine because it has uh, allowed us, it has forced us to slow our pace down. I, I, this year for my family and I was, has been crazy, leaving where we were and coming here and all the different things that have been happening. I know that for us, that one of the benefits of this season has been that we've been forced to physically slow down. And so we've been able to get uh, more sleep and more margin and more time. And I don't know if you know this, but, but one of the things that you see throughout history is that it was in moments of, 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 of quarantine It was in moments of social distancing that some of the the best uh, writings were made in human history. So so for example, I didn't know this, but according to history, William Shakespeare wrote some of his his greatest plays during a quarantine that he was forced to be in when he was alive. Uh, Another example of it is is, uh, uh, John Bunyan. John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress Pilgrim's Progress was written when John Bunyan was put in jail. It wasn't necessarily a quarantine, but he was forced into jail. He was there for several years, and it was while he was in jail that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Another example of this is the Apostle Paul. Many of the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament were written while he was in jail. And so I tell you these things to say this. We have an opportunity in this season, because things have slowed down, we have an opportunity to use this season to, to focus on things and to give ourselves to things that we otherwise didn't have time for. And so, for example, if you're a worship leader, uh, I, I honestly am convinced that some of the best songs you will ever write will be written in this time because this season is so unique and the emotions that people experience, are experiencing are so, are so unique that I, could, I would challenge worship leaders to, to write during this time. Uh, if you journal, I will challenge you to journal during this time. And so one of the benefits of, of, of uh, quarantine is physical. Another benefit of quarantine is relational. And here's what I mean by relational. In this season, we have an opportunity to connect with people that we otherwise don't have an opportunity to connect with. Now, we won't connect with them physically, like hanging out with them, right? But we can connect with them through a phone call, through email, through text, through FaceTime. And so uh, one of the groups of people that we should be relationally connecting with in this time is with our families. I can't tell you how often before this season, how often I complained about not having enough time with my family. Well, I don't have that excuse anymore. We, one of the groups of people that we can have quality time with relationally in this time is with our families. Another group of people that we can connect with during this time is with our friends, uh, people who we haven't connected with in a while, people who we haven't talked to uh, in, a, in an extended period of time. We, we have an opportunity in this season to connect not just with our families relationally, but also with our friends. And in the third group that we can connect with in this time is we can have fellowship with other believers. You know, one of the things that technology allows us to do is that it allows us to stay connected with other people in a time like this, other Christians who can be praying for you and encouraging you. One of the things that we're doing during this season and I would love for you to do is, is if you're interested at all uh, in joining, uh, having community during this time, one of the things that we are starting in this, uh, this time is we are starting these online groups. And so you can sign up for a group and you can be in a Zoom call and you pick the time that works for you. And then you can be in a, a Zoom call with one of our staff members and, and, and several other people from our church just coming together in this season to have fellowship with other believers. So there's a physical benefit, there's a relational benefit. And then thirdly, when it comes to this quarantine, there's a spiritual benefit. And here's what I mean by a spiritual benefit. One of the things that this quarantine has forced on me that has been really good for my soul is it has forced me to face quiet. It has forced me to, to experience silence. And one of the things that we are really, really bad at as modern day Christians is we are bad at solitude. We are bad at practicing solitude and silence. And this is a quote from uh, Dr. Donald Whitney on this concept of solitude and silence. He says, one of the costs of technological advancement is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. He says, so many of us have to realize the addiction we have to noise. He says modern life tends to rob from the bene- He's like, modern life tends to rob from the benefits of solitude. So so what, what, what Donald Whitney is saying there is that one of the even though that technological advances are great, one of the, the 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 shadow side to technology, to all the noise, is that we do not take advantage of solitude and silence the way that we should. I believe that one of the reasons why we avoid solitude and silence is because silence uh, spiritually forces us to to deal with things that we have been suppressing. And I came across an article that I'm about to read from here in a second. And what he argues is that the fear that we are experiencing right now in this season is actually a fear that was already there. But what this season has done is that it's forced us to deal with the fear and to experience the fear head on. Here's what the author says. He says there's also fear in us because that's where the fear has been all along. Long before a novel virus revealed revealed it in us, fear has been talking to us, we just haven't been listening. For far too long, the voice of fear in our ears has been drowned out by airplanes and airpods, political stump speeches and talk shows, sporting events, twitter feeds and the voice our culture works very hard to entertain itself, entertain itself out of thinking the very definition of amusement. This is what makes the threat of quarantine so scary for many of us, because in our abundance of time, we might, we might just stumble into quiet thoughts, personal reflection, self-assessment, and we fear silence. Yet this quiet, this quarantine from sport and school And if we allow it from amusement and entertainment presents us with the opportunity to look at our failings and listen to our fears, we must not suppress them. And so one of the benefits of of this, of, of quarantine is that spiritually it forces us to be silent. Another benefit, another spiritual benefit of quarantine is that we are forced to trust in God. You know, a lot of times we as Christians talk about, oh, I trust God. Yeah, God, of course course I trust God, right? But what this season does is it forces us to really trust God. Listen, there are things that we just don't know about this season. Our headlights only go so far. And so we are forced to trust God and we are forced to remember that God is sovereign and that he has a plan even for this season. And so Pastor John Piper, here's what he says about this idea of trusting God. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. Think about that. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may only be aware of three of them. And what this season does is it forces us to remember that we are not on the throne, but God is, and we must rely on him. And so even though, what I love about that quote is that what it tells us is that there are certain things that are in our blind spots. There are certain things that we just can't see. But it's not just a a, a blind spot issue. It is literally a capacity issue. We we literally do not have the ability to see everything God sees. We literally cannot comprehend everything that God comprehends. And so what what he is saying there is that we have to be uh, aware and we have to trust in the fact that we might know about the three things God is doing, but we must trust him with the other 9,997 things that he's doing. That's what he says there. C.S. Lewis also talks about this and he was writing in a very different time. It was during World War II and there was a lot of of fighting and and war going on when he wrote this, but he was writing. This is years ago, 70 plus years ago. And here's what C.S. Lewis has to say about the atomic bomb. But you can replace the atomic bomb with the coronavirus and what you will see is that it describes our situation perfectly. Here's what Lewis says. He says, who are we he says how are we to live in an atomic age I am tempted I am tempted to reply why as you should have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year or as you would have lived in a viking age when raiders from scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night or indeed as you are already living in the age of cancer uh, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor, motor accidents. In other words, do not, uh, do not let us begin uh, by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. Listen to this. It says the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb or the coronavirus, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together and, uh, like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs or coronavirus. They, atomic bomb or coronavirus, may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. See, what Lewis is saying, he was saying to them and he is saying to us today that we have an opportunity in this season to trust God in a way that we've never trusted him before. And so those are the spiritual benefits. So so the benefits of quarantine are physical, they are relational, and they are spiritual. But because quarantine is a paradox, there are also some deficits. There are also some disadvantages. There are some external disadvantages and there are some internal disadvantages. Let me talk to you a little bit about the external disadvantages that many of us are experiencing in this season. One of the disadvantages that many of us are experiencing in this season of quarantine is that we have plans that we have made that have fallen apart. So some of us were planning on going on vacation. Uh, some of us were planning on graduating. Some of us were planning on retiring. Some of us were planning on getting married. And what, what, what this season has done, it, it's, it's one of the, the disadvantages of quarantine is that it has destroyed, it has messed up all of our plans. But it hasn't just been our plans that have been messed up. It's been our relationship with people that have been messed up as well. One of the difficulties about this virus in particular is that it has split even families apart. So so grandparents can't even see their grandchildren. And so they're sitting at home and, and, and people who are in nursing homes can't be visited by their families because no one knows who might have uh, the coronavirus. And so out of, so to be safe, we we're practicing social distancing, but what, what happens as we separate ourselves from people is that it, it, we feel lonely and we feel isolated. And so, so one of the external challenges that we have to navigate in this season is that we are divided and we are separated from the people that we love. Then there's also economic challenges. There, there are people who don't know where their next paycheck is going to come. There, there are people who, who literally are now scrambling, waiting for this government check because they just don't know what they are going to do financially in this season. And so, so what we see and what we discover is that uh, this quarantine comes with disadvantages, and one of those disadvantages is financial. But not only do we have uh, financial uh, not only do we have external uh, disadvantages, we also have internal disadvantages. Here's what I mean by dis- uh, internal disadvantages. According to the New Testament, the, 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 the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so spiritually, we want to have faith. We, we want to have hope. We, we want to trust God, but our flesh is weak. And so Satan is constantly attacking you in the areas where you are vulnerable in this season. Just because everything else has stopped, it doesn't mean that Satan has stopped. He is still t- tempting you. He is still accusing you. He is still attacking you. And so we struggle internally. And we also struggle internally with our emotions. How many of us in this season are, are experiencing uh, worry and anxiety and impatience and confusion and anger and, and bitterness? There, there's so many emotions that we are experiencing in this season. And so what we see is that on the one hand, the reason why quarantine is so paradoxical is because there's, there's benefits to it, but there's also a lot of disadvantages to it as well. And I would argue that in a season like this, cliches just don't really do it right now, right? Like there, there, there's these statements that people put up on Facebook. There's these verses that people quote and these pithy uh, inspirational quotes that are supposed to make you feel better. But when you're really going through it, when you're really feeling the anxiety and the worry and the fear, man, cliches just don't, they feel hollow. They just don't feel like they work. And so I just want you to see that there's a paradox. That on the one hand, there's a lot of benefits to quarantine, one of them being social distancing and keeping others safe, loving our neighbor and honoring authority. Man, but there's also a lot of hardship that comes with this season. So we've seen the concept. We've seen the paradox. And I want to conclude this morning um, by looking at the end of quarantine, the end of quarantine. Now, Now here's the thing. Here's what I mean by the end of quarantine. See, we are all logical people. And, and we know that at some point, uh, this quarantine is going to come to an end, right? A- eventually at some point is going to run its course and this quarantine is going to come to an end. But what I would argue, and this is what I need you to understand, is I don't want you to, 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 to feel better once it's all over. I-, I would argue that the only way that we as a church, that we as the body of Christ are going to have a quality Quarantine, right? This is the title of the message. The only way that we are going to have a quality quarantine, even when we're in the midst of it, is when we finally understand that in the gospel, Jesus has dealt with the greater quarantine and the greater virus. And here's what I mean the greater quarantine and the greater virus come from the same place in Scripture. Back in Genesis chapter 3, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he says to Adam and Eve, do not eat from this tree because if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. You will die spiritually. You will die relationally. You will die physically. God tells them, do not eat from the tree. Adam and Eve, through the temptation of Satan, they disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God, the virus of sin and death enters humanity, it goes from it spreads from Satan to Eve to Adam. And all of a sudden, this virus of, of, of sin and death is starting to spread. And so what does God do? If you look at scripture, what God does in Genesis chapter 3 is God quarantines them. God removes them from the, the garden. He retakes them out of the camp, just like Leviticus. He removes them from the garden and he puts them outside of the camp. God He quarantines them. He practices social and spiritual distancing. Why does God do that? Well, God does it according to the passage because he knew that if they were to eat from the, 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 the the tree of of life, they would then be stuck in that condition forever. God knew I have to keep you from this tree of life because if you eat from the tree of life, when you are still infected, you are going to stay in that condition and I'm not going to be able to bring a cure or a vaccine. So I'm going to remove you. Uh, I'm going to uh, practice these temporary measures uh, as I figure out and plan my permanent Solution. And so God takes temporary measures by quarantining them and by distancing them, by putting them outside of the camp. But like I said, that was only a temporary measure. God knew that he would one day have to bring a permanent solution. And that permanent solution was brought about in his son, Jesus. Heaven and earth were quarantined from each other. Earth had the disease and the virus of sin and death. And heaven was quarantined. Jesus stepped out of his safety into the infection, into our sin. He came down to earth in order to deal what God dealt with temporarily in the Old Testament Jesus came to deal with permanently. In the New Testament, what's beautiful about Jesus is that Jesus shows up, and, and and God put an angel in front of the garden. Jesus shows up, and at the cross, Jesus Christ, He takes the sword so that we might be able to go back into God's presence. So so that we might no longer have to be isolated. So so that we might no longer have to be outcast. Jesus Christ at the cross, He killed the virus. At the cross, Jesus Christ, He He ended the quarantine. That's what Jesus. Jesus did for you and for me. And what I love about the gospel is that what Jesus does is in Genesis 3, God says to Adam, he says to the serpent, from this woman, there will be a seed who will crush your head. When when God says that to, to, to the serpent, That was the mission. From that moment on, the mission was for a seed to crush the head of Satan. Satan and sin were our number one's enemies. They were the the virus that needed to be killed. And what I love about Jesus Christ is that when Jesus shows up, he doesn't get distracted with all the other stuff. He doesn't think that our greatest problem is Rome. He doesn't think that our greatest problem is Herod. He doesn't think that our greatest problem is Pilate. He doesn't think that our greatest problem uh, is the coronavirus. No, Jesus knew that his mission was to crush the head of the serpent and at the cross that is exactly what Jesus Christ did and by doing that he killed the virus he ended the quarantine and now through him we can go back into God's presence come on church man y'all better be amening me at home I can tell you that right now okay and what we see, what's beautiful, is you go to the New Testament, and in Matthew chapter eight, we see this story fleshed out. In, in Matthew chapter eight, we have this story of this leper that approaches Jesus. And so, if you if you know your Bible, Matthew five through seven is where we find the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus finishes preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He is on his way down the mountain and a leper approaches him. And when the leper approaches him, he's breaking all the rules. He's supposed to be quarantined. He's not supposed to be there right now. He breaks the rules. He goes up to Jesus. And here's what you might not know about lepers in those days. In those days, lepers had uh, physical consequences. The their, their, their disease resulted in their skin going numb. And so they wouldn't feel burns or scrapes or bruises. And so their hands would fall off and their, their limbs would fall off and their, their nose would fall off. And all you would see would be two holes. It was a devastating disease. So there was physical consequences. But in those days, there was also relational and emotional and spiritual consequences because a leper was considered unclean, and so he was not allowed to go into God's presence And so this person that approaches Jesus at the beginning of Matthew 8, he is going through all sorts of brokenness. His leprosy has impacted him at every level. And what I love about Jesus is that in the passage, it says that when Jesus, he sees the man, he responds to the man with his heart and with his hand. He responds with his heart because it says that Jesus sees the man and his heart is filled with compassion. He is overwhelmed with love for this person. So his first response is with his heart. So many people were disgusted by a leper. They they didn't want to be by him. They were practicing quarantine and social distancing. Jesus' initial response is to love the man and to feel compassion for him. And then, this is what's even crazier, Jesus reaches down and he touches the man. He touches them with his hand. And why is that important? Well, the reason why that's important is because Jesus, there's many places in the New Testament where Jesus heals someone without ever laying a hand on them. But he intentionally touches this man. Why? Because he knew that there was a good chance that it had been years since someone had touched this man. Jesus reaches down and by touching him, not only is he healing him physically, but he was healing him spiritually. He was healing him relationally. He was healing him mentally. He was healing him relationally. Jesus was walking, walk, walking, him, welcoming him back to the community. Jesus tells the man, I don't want you, he says, I don't want you to go tell anybody. Keep this a secret. Keep this a secret. And the guy doesn't listen. He goes out and he tells everybody. And what commentators say is that because of what he does, Jesus is then forced to go into isolation. Instead of him listening, and Jesus allowed to keep doing his public ministry, because he did what he did, Jesus is forced to go into isolation. So get this, Jesus takes the guy out of isolation, and then because of what the guy did, in many ways, Jesus replaces him. The guy goes from being an outcast in isolation, and then as a result of his decision, Jesus is then forced to go into outcast, to be an outcast in isolation. That's why it says in the New Testament that Jesus was crucified outside of the city wall, outside of the wall. Jesus at the cross became an outcast so that the outcast might become insiders. And by doing that, Jesus shows that he's the greater Moses who comes down from a mountain. He gives the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greater law of God. He comes down from the mountain. He shows that he's the greater Moses, not just because Moses proclaimed the law, but Jesus came to fulfill the law. He also shows that he's the greater priest. Why? Because a priest in those days couldn't touch someone with leprosy because they would get unclean. But Jesus is the greater priest who doesn't get uh, the uncleanliness transferred to him. He transfers his cleanliness to others. And he's also the greater leper who took our place, who became an outcast so that we might become insiders. So here's my prayer for us this morning. My prayer for you as an individual and for us as a church is that we would be people who in this season, that that we would focus not on what we might potentially lose in this season, but that we would focus on what we permanently have in our savior. See, there's a lot of things that we might potentially lose, but I pray that we would focus not on what we might uh, potentially lose, but on what we permanently have in the gospel. Praise be to God that in the gospel, we don't have this abstract principle, but we have been given a personal person, a person named Jesus who is powerful enough to deal with our long-term quarantine and virus. And yet at the same time, personal enough to deal with our short-term quarantine and virus. And so my prayer for us in this time is that we would increase our theology of quarantine so that as a result we might increase our quality of quarantine. Listen, if you're here this morning and you might maybe you're watching because someone forced you to watch. You're in a house with a with a person who is watching this and you're just watching it. Or maybe you've tuned in because you're looking for hope. You're you're looking for answers. My prayer for you today is that today would be the day that you place your faith in Jesus because your greatest issue is not the coronavirus. It is the virus of sin and death. And in the gospel, Jesus came to deal with the source of your problem, not just the symptom of it. And so I pray that today would be the day that you respond to Jesus. So if you have a question about any of this, if you, if you want to respond and you want to place your faith in Jesus, whatever that step is, maybe you just want to join a group like I brought up earlier. I would love for you to text the word high point to the number 97000 and respond in any way that God might be calling you to this morning. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you uh, for the gospel. And we thank you that in the gospel, we find uh, a greater uh, quarantine being ended, a greater virus being cured. And, and we thank you that we know you will be faithful in this quarantine. We know that you will be faithful with this virus because you were already faithful with that quarantine and that virus. I pray that we would be a church that from this moment on, however long we're in this season, that we would be known for our quality quarantines. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.